Okay, we are on to the fourth sermon in a series of four, um, looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, um, which um, followed on from a series last year when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, all of those sermons under th that broad heading of being the people of God in a post-Christian society. So every, everything you hear, and I would recommend, if you haven't heard the sermons, go to the City Hope website, and you can listen to the previous sermons in this series on there. Listen to those through that sort of filter of us being God's people in a society which is, is no longer really Christian. I know there are some echoes of Christian influence but you could argue quite strongly that we are in a post-Christian society in this nation. And if you remember, if you cast your mind back to the first sermon Dave preached, um, he looked at the fact that we should put off our old ways, old ways of deceit and envy and slander, he referred to, and we should be hungry for God's ways, hungry like a baby craving milk, if you, rem if you remember that. We should be hungry for God's ways. And then Vic, um, under the heading, A Place and a Purpose for Everyone, looked at the next section. And Rebecca, if you remember just last week, the All or Nothing cornerstone. Um, those sermons you can hear on our, on our website. I, I'm going to look at the last two verses, uh, sorry, not the last two verses, verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2. But I'm going to read... Uh, the whole passage to you from the New International Version. That should come up on the screen. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, I pray the truth of these words will shape us, will affect us, will uh, change us and challenge us as we walk through at this post-Christian society as your people. 
let us freshly recognize what these words mean to us in our everyday lives. Not just for an hour and a half on a Sunday, but every hour of every day, wherever we find ourselves, whatever we are doing. I pray that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you go into the Science Museum, there's an interactive exhibition there called Who Am I? You can see it up on there. Um, who's ever been to that? Anyone been to that? Yeah, some of them have been there. Put your hands down. Thank you. Um, and th that exhibition asks the question, who am I? And it attempts to answer questions around that deep philosophical question, like, would you be the same person without your memories? What makes you, you? It promises to explore how your genetics and brain combine to create your unique identity. It's quite impressive, isn't it? That's a permanent exhibition in the Science Museum looking at that deep question, who am I? And some of you who watch a little bit of television may remember a television series called Who Do You Think You Are? Do you remember that? Yep. There should, be a, there should be an image just to jog your memory. There it is. Um, in fact, that series has aired on the BBC every year since 2004 and has regularly attracted audiences of over 6 million viewers because the subject matter is fascinating. If you, if you know it, in each episode, a celebrity traces their family tree. You know, they're finding out surprising facts about their ancestors, about their predecessors, in the hope that they will then understand a little bit better who they are. And it's sometimes that program can be really moving as they find surprising things about their predecessors. Sometimes it can be quite amusing. Um, but, but, but the whole thing is about people looking back and asking that question, who am I? Who am I? Well, I've nicked the title of that television series um, for today's sermon. I've called it today, Who Do You Think You Are? You know, and looking at those two verses in um, 1 Peter chapter 2, one commentator described them as two of the most explicit and most profound verses on Christian identity. Who do you think you are? Let's just remind ourselves of those two verses that we're going to look at there, because I love these verses. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received but mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've got any dog owners in? Anyone got any dog owners? There's a few. There's a few here, not many. They all sit over that side. Dog owners are directed over this side of the hall. Oh, there's one over there. Sorry, yes. <laughs> You're sitting that we've saved a seat for you. Um, I've never owned a dog before, I must admit. Um, But I reckon one of the great benefits of having a dog is the awareness that I'm not one. 
Now, yes, dogs can be loyal and loving. Dogs can be forgiving and patient and warm and gentle and happy and peaceful, can't they? Right, it's good. But they're still just dogs. Right, yes they are. Believe me, check the genetics of that creature. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, have you, ever se- have you ever seen them clean themselves, right? And then it's, you, get, you get the owner goes up and says, come and give daddy a kiss. You think, don't do that. Because they're dogs, they don't get it, right? <laughs> dogs don't philosophize or reason or feel or create art or literature like people do because they're just dogs, right? They don't ponder their identity and wonder what it means ultimately in God's scheme of things to be a dog in a post-Christian society, right? (laughs) Because they're not created in the image of God. I'm not saying they're horrible things. They're lovely creatures, right? As human beings today, we have before us an eternal destiny. An eternal destiny of either indescribable glory, a home in heaven and all of that, or an eternal destiny of unimaginable hell eternal separation from God. Which one, which one it is, depends in large part on how we respond to these big basic questions that you see on the screen right now. Who am I? What am I here for? Huge questions. You know, no poodle ever lost a night's sleep pondering those questions. And those two questions are answered in these two verses that we've just looked at. So who am I? Well, what I'm going to do is, on that first question, who am I, I've got five points. And then I'll sort of conclude with the what am I here for at the end. Is that right? Okay, because this passage, is it ju- we just work through it essentially. So firstly, on that answering that question, who am I, Peter says... You are a chosen race, right? You are chosen. Now, I know this, uh, that's corporate. That's a, uh, there's a corporate element to that, about being, he's, you know, calls us a race. He's talking about here, actually, the church, the, the new Israel. And those verses that we read, verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2, reflect verses from the Old Testament, notably some in Exodus 19 and Isaiah as well, Isaiah 43, describing the unique place, those Old Testament verses describe the unique place the, uh, the people of Israel have in God's eternal plan. And he takes those thoughts, those same thoughts, but now they're applied to us, the church, the new Israel, Abraham's spiritual descendants. We're a very special people, a chosen race. If you are a Christian, and this passage is, is addressing Christians, so if you're, if you're not a Christian, sit there and l- listen. But if you are a Christian, this is specifically talking to you. You're a chosen race. There's a quote there on the screen. You can see it. 
from Cranfield, one of the commentators on this passage, he said, as Israel was God's elect or chosen race, so is the church heir alike of the privileges and the obligations of God's chosen people. We are a privileged people by being chosen by God. But we have obligations as well. And we'll, we'll talk that through as we go through. Because although we're a chosen race, it certainly has implications on each of us as individuals. Because this race that we're talking about is not racial. right? The chosen race is not Jewish or German or black or white or any other color. The chosen race is a new people from all the peoples of the world. And you only have to look around you in this room to think, yeah, I know that. And all the fun that that can mean and the misunderstanding that that could mean and the cultural differences where you say you're the same, you speak the same language as that person and you mean totally different things. But it's big, that's part of God's plan because we are a chosen race, right? A new race. There's a new race in the world, right? A race who are aliens and strangers in the world. And the very next verse of, of 1 Peter chapter 2 highlights that, where, where, where Peter continues and he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. That's what we are. That's why it feels a little bit uncomfortable sometimes when you're going about your everyday life and everyone seems to be slightly different to you. So what gives us our identity as Christians is not culture or color of skin, but the fact that we are chosen. Your identity as a Christian is not because you are white British or black Nigerian, right? Your identity as a Christian comes from being chosen by God, the creator of all things, right? We're the chosen race. This sounds quite arrogant, doesn't it? Well, it would be if it wasn't true. But we are, because God says it, right? We're the chosen race. Amazing stuff, right? Chosen from all the races of the world. We've been chosen as individuals, not because you come from a certain country or not because you have uh, a certain parentage or certain privileges or a certain amount of money in the bank. Chosen because God decided to choose you. So your first identity, if you like, the first part of the answer to that question, well, who am I, is you're chosen by God. You're chosen by God. And do you know what? Why did he choose me? I don't know, right? I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It happened before I was born. In fact, it happened before he even made the world, the Bible says. But he did do it. And I am so grateful. I stand in awe of him for doing that. I tremble with joy at it sometimes. Right? I bow down and worship him because he chose me. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's Who am I? Well, I know one thing. I'm chosen by God. Let's look at the next one. What's the next one? You have received mercy. We're only looking through these two verses, a, bit, a phrase at a time. 
In, in, in verse, t- verse 10, the end of verse 10, it says, Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When God chose us, he saw all our sin and guilt and condemnation. He saw the filth and the muck of our lives, the pit we were in. He still chose us and he gave us mercy. We're not just the objects of his choice, we're the objects of his mercy. It's a beautiful thing. God didn't just choose me and then move away and crack on with something else. He saw my desperate need. He chose me and then he drew near to me. He drew near to me in mercy to help me, to rescue me. He lifted me up out of the muck and the mire and he set my feet on a rock of Jesus. That's mercy, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Here's my identity as well. I've been chosen by God, the creator of heaven and earth. And he's reached out in mercy to me. Oh, I didn't deserve that. That's why it's called mercy. You know, when a criminal, when a criminal is in prison and, and, you know, when you've got an absolute king and all they can say, because they know they've done the crime, all they can do is drop to their knees and say mercy and hope that that ruler extends a hand of mercy to them. Well, God has done that for us. I hope this stirs you as you live your life in a post-Christian society. Think, no, when you go to work on Monday or when you go to college or school or when you go shopping or whatever you're going to do Monday, you've got to think to yourself, no, I'm chosen by God and he has reached out a hand of mercy to me, forgiven me. I don't get my identity from the actions of my ancestors, like that television program seems to imply, or my genetic makeup even. I don't get my identity even from my own actions. And sometimes as Christians, we make that mistake because we see Christians around us and we see how they behave and you think, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. Well, now that's maybe right they shouldn't be doing that, but we make a value judgment about who they are by what they do. Our identity is in what God has done for us in his act of mercy to us. Amen? What's the third one? You are God's possession. You are God's possession. It says, it, it says in verse 9, you are God's special possession. And, and, and then in, in the t- next verse, it says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We're his. You're chosen by God. You've received the mercy of God. And the effect of that mercy is that God takes you to be his own. Adopted into his family. He owns us. He possesses us. I, you know, and I know, I know God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I know that. So in one sense, of course, everyone's God's possession. But this must mean something special, therefore. You're God's inheritance. And that's in Psalm chapter 2, isn't it? The nations are his his inheritance. You're the ones he wants to spend eternity with. What? God God loves me that much. He would choose me and extend the hand of mercy to me so he could own me and spend time with me. Yes. Does that help answer the question, who am I? 
Don't say, oh, who am I? I'm just a little nobody. I've, I don't even understand the Bible. I don't, I can't hardly pray. I don't. Listen, you are his possession if you are born again. You're in a very, very privileged position. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. How, does that make you feel secure? Right? We're in a very insecure world when there's all sorts of nonsense going on globally. You think, no, I'm, I'm part of God's kingdom. I'm one of his. He is my God and I will be his people. It's, I, for me, that just, it j- just builds confidence. You are God's possession. He will walk with you. He will talk with you and in that personal relationship, that intimate relationship you have with him, and he'll be that'll be forever now. Right? He ain't gonna leave you or forsake you. Right? What's the next one? You are holy. You are holy. You are a holy nation. You have been chosen and received mercy, and you are possessed by God, so you're not part of the world anymore. You are set apart for God. You exist for God. God is holy. You are holy. Be holy because I am holy, he says. We share his character. This is mind-blowing. As we've been owned by him and adopted into his family, as you read through the Bible, you see the character of God. You think, is that me? Do I emulate that? Do I, do I uh, demonstrate that? Are the fruits of the Spirit evident in my life? You are holy. And God says so. So if you don't act in a holy way, you're acting out of character. Has anyone ever said something like that to you? Said, what's up? What's up with saying? What's up about something? What's up with saying so they don't seem themselves? Right? They're acting out of character. See, to be acting in character as part of God's possession, the recipient of mercy, the chosen one, we should be acting in a holy way. That means what comes out of our mouth, that means our actions, that means our what we think. That means how you're going to respond at work when everyone else is not holy. Because <coughs> you are holy. We're a holy nation. Can you see how these questions, this is answering that question, well, who am I? The deep philosophical question, who am I? Right? God answers it. God knows it. What's the next one? Number five, you are a royal priest. Right, a royal priesthood. So you're chosen by God and you're given mercy by God and you're possessed by God and you're holy like God and you are royal priests set apart to serve him. Don't you like this? Right? You look around, look around the church and you, you see royal priests sitting amongst you. Right? Old or young, new convert or uh, you know, recent convert or convert of long standing, those who can read the Bible in original Greek and Hebrew and those who hardly read at all, they're all royal priests. Wow. City Hope. That's us. 
When you go to work tomorrow, a priest walks in the door. Yeah. How about that? People can't figure out what my job title is when I'm out, not when I'm out with some mates who don't know much about church. <coughs> and they say, what are you? Are you a vicar? Are you a, 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 a pastor? A priest? A ma-? And I, I think, a priest sounds good. I'll go for priest. The Bible says it. And you can start telling them this passage. The Bible says I'm part of a royal priesthood. But we all are. Whether, whether somebody stands up here and preaches on, from a, a, a platform or, or not, whether you're salaried by a church or not, we are all priests together. So important. Lift up your heads, priesthood. That's who you are. Right. And as priests, we're all called to minister. Right? We're called to serve, we're called to act, we're called to do, and we minister in the presence of God before his holiness. Right? You know, uh, y- the, the, those well-known words in Romans 12, I think, are really helpful. Rome, the first couple of verses of Romans chapter 12, because it just sums up our whole lives are a spiritual act of worship. It says, it's Paul writing to the church at Rome, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. <coughs> holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. What's the act of a priest? It's a spiritual act of worship. That's everything, all day. Not just a few songs on a Sunday, as much as I love that. A spiritual act of worship is when you go to college tomorrow, when you go to work, when you go shopping, you're looking to worship. When you meet people and you're communicating with them, you're there as a priest. It's a high calling. It's a worthy one, isn't it? So that's who you are. You are a chosen one. You have received God's mercy. You are his possession. You are holy. You are a royal priest. That answers the question, who am I? What are you here for? Are you here for? Well, I've got about less than five minutes to answer this question, but I will attempt to. Because our identity, the who am I, suggests that we're, uh, suggests what we're here for in itself. Because we're, we're, we're chosen, given mercy, possessed and holy, and all for the sake of being part of that royal priesthood, which I've been describing, that that being a priest is giving and serving and doing. But then Peter gets a bit more specific. He tells us, the reason for our existence, there it is on the screen, to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's us. It's a huge calling, isn't it? But I love it. I love it. That's what we're here for, priests, right? To make known the wonders of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, King Jesus. Right? We're going to declare his praises right? because he called us out of darkness. 
us who were not a people. We weren't even a people then. Now we're a people belonging to God. We're in his wonderful light now, and we have a calling and a responsibility. We have things to say and do to glorify his name, to declare his praises. Our identity and its purpose, well, it is who we are is defined in terms of what God has made us. Who we are is defined in terms of what God has made us. Not what, we've, not, not what our parentage is. Not what happened when we were in darkness. Not what happened before we were a people. Because as, you, as I said, we're talk, this is talking to Christians. Because that is all past and dead and buried and wiped away. Because you are forgiven and pure now. So that's not who you are. And you know, some people in this room are be more thankful for that than others because they know how deep they sank before. They know how dark their life was. They knew very clearly they were not a people, despised, right? But listen, that's not their identity now. Our identity now, we've just listed it in those, in those, uh, two, ver- those two verses, right? We are not, sorry, who we are is defined in terms of what God has made us and the relationship he has with us and the destiny he has given us. As Christians, we can't talk about who I am without talking about what God has done. We can't, can we? Right? He's given us our identity. And (laughs) so that his identity can be seen in us. We look like the Father. That's it. Wonderful stuff, isn't it? God made us who we are so that we could make known who he is. Being a Christian and making the greatness of God known are essentially the same thing. Right? You can't be a Christian and not make the greatness of God known, otherwise something's gone wrong. We can do it at work. We can tell people about uh, uh, what we. We can tell people what we love about God. We can w- w- why we think He's great as we live out our pure and holy lives before people. We can do it in our meetings when we gather, either on a large scale like this, or in in different meetings in different people's homes. Um, as we pray, as we look at the Bible together as we encourage one another with what God has done, wasn't Femi great this morning just to encourage us and lift us and lifted this whole meeting, right? Demonstrating the identity of God in him. We can do that as we serve and give and love in a thousand different ways. Different ways that suit our personality. Because we're all different personalities. This is the wonder of this. We should all know who we are in Christ, but we're not all clones of one another. Everyone's different. Some extrovert, some introvert, some knowledgeable, some not so knowledgeable. The whole, you know the whole picture. But we can all demonstrate who am I this, through our personalities. Because listen, whoever you are today, if you are a Christian, this is your identity. 
And this is what you're here for. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we look at these verses, it's just great to remind ourselves of the high calling which is on us. A people chosen by God, a people given mercy, given mercy by God, a people possessed by God, a people holy like God, a, a, a royal priests serving God. And I pray, Lord, that these words will ring around in our heads, that the words, that your word, the, the word of life will, uh, will affect us and, and continue to challenge and change us and will drive us as we go back to work to be Jesus to the people we meet, to our neighbours, to our friends, to our families, because we are confident that we know who we are. Amen.